Yay! Rockosophy episode time! Hi! With Megan. Hello. Where are we? In the podcast land, or like physically on the planet Earth? Physically on the planet Earth. We are in a lovely house with original wood trim, so cute, in Duluth, Minnesota! Yay! The fact that I can say this town actually embodies Birds Rocks Bliss is a beautiful thing, and also it's getting a little excessive now. Like, I know rocks are a thing, I get it, but then I keep, I can go out into the gravel in the alley behind our place and find beautiful little geologic treasures, so... I'm really glad that you're enjoying it, because um, that would make me feel uh, all sorts of negative feelings if you were not... How can you not enjoy Duluth? It's a fun place. If you've never been, um, definitely put that on your on your list of places to be. It's very it's been very friendly so far. And if you're a birder, all kinds of crazy stuff. Check this out. According to the Northland Outdoors, Duluth News Tribune, set Saturday, September fifth, hawk migration in full swing. Um, okay, I'm not doing a very good job, but the red-tailed hawk, the northern goshawk, the broad-winged hawk, the shark-shinned hawk, and the American kestrel are all at peak viewing times to see their migration down to their southern, warmer climates for winter in late September to mid-October. People come from all over the world, like Japan and Ghana, to see it. And for two weeks out of the year, we have the highest concentration of night hawks, which are not true hawks. They're a member of the swift family. Chimney swifts. Those cute little buggers. If, you know, you're into that. Upwards of you know, 76,000. Wow. That's a lot of birds. Yeah. Wasn't uh, your friend Pat saying something about turns? Turns here or cormorants or something like that? Yes, there are turns. There are plovers and turns at some location where she likes to hang out. Which, so, okay. Instead of flying over the basically small freshwater inland sea that is Lake Superior and the other great lakes in the system, birds will cling to the coast when they fly south. So it's just a lot like... Oh, so that's why we're in such a great area. Well, yeah. It's hard to fly over that much water. Yeah. Plus, like, if you're flying with birds that are bigger and faster than you, let's all just grab, get ourselves on the highway and start eating each other. <laughs> well... Even though most of them are probably insectivores. Yeah, it's, um... I mean, as you've seen... I mean, driving here was tough, right? Because of all the flat land, which is so different than um, our home in Spokane. It was uh, just the wind. Like... Wind is constant, and it's never coming from a convenient direction. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, it's hard emotionally to have such a drastic change in landscape. Huh. But getting up here, there's actually change in elevation. And there's hills and stuff and rocks instead of just miles and miles and miles of cornfields. So it's emotionally hard on you in a good way? No. Like, emotionally, okay, I need you to 
paint me a word picture of that. Um, well, I grew up here, right? In not in Duluth, but in Minnesota. All right. Amongst the miles and miles of cornfields. And lakes, right? And lakes. There well, we go. not so many lakes around where I grew up, but a fair amount. Uh, but the re- I mean, one of the huge reasons why I moved to the Pacific Northwest was for the mountains and the the different landscape. I mean, when I was living in Cheney and commuting into the city of Spokane for my internship, I would leave my house at 7 o'clock every morning on the nose, and I would drive in amongst the morning traffic, and, like, there's this beautiful... I mean, they're not super huge mountains, but they're mountains. Um, in the distance on the other side of Spokane that you can see coming down the hill... And I would just feel like pinching myself every morning, being like, I live here now. I moved here. We do sit in a beautiful little valley, nestled between... I've said this before, they make me think of the Smoky Mountains, because they're so gentle. Yeah. But the difference is that the Smoky Mountains are gentle because they're limestone and they're eroding. Like, faster than this sentence. (laughs) Anyway, so like, whenever I'm back in the Midwest, there is a part of me... That sees the miles and miles in cornfields. And I just think about why I left and, you know, what I went to. And so coming back here, I just, you know, moving back. Um, But then coming up to Duluth, it's just, it's nice to see a different landscape. And you didn't really come back, though. Because you're still three hours from anything interesting. As far as where you grew up. Yeah. I mean, this is... This is a new, me exploring new Minnesota country. And Minnesota is a very, geographically, I mean, other people might disagree with me. No, I have a couple pamphlets over there in the other room. Minnesota is a very geographically diverse state. And, um... It's got a lot going on. There's a reason why I kind of bucked internally against the central part. Being in the northern part, I always... I always had really positive connections and experiences in the northern, kind of woodsy part of the state. Which is where they wanted people for that last job that I, well, the job before the last job that I applied for, before the world caught fire. Yeah. They had wolf, deer, and elk. Do they have elk in northern Minnesota? Uh, probably, yeah. I think okay. people, have, people I know have been elk hunting up here. And moose. So, like, just a bunch of ungulates. Mm-hmm. Uh, for winter surveys using planes, but they did not have them in the central and southern part of Minnesota. Oh yeah, no. Because they were like, it's just, it's marsh, and it's ag land that probably used to be a marsh or a prairie, which was only not a forest because people lit it on fire periodically to keep it as a prairie. Lots of good birds, though. So not only do we have the hawks moving through, but we have a bunch of warblers as well, and... The Nighthawks, basically all the birds moving south, are concentrated here for about two months out of the year. We are the coolest place to go. Plus, look at this. There's a big picture of a fish. Northern Pike on uh, Deer Lake. 40 inches. Yeah. They're pretty... It's like a cartoonishly large fish. Oh yeah, there is a sturgeon family, I think. That would make sense, the shape of the head. Anyway, so, we're sitting here. We order noodles and company. Because celebratory food, 
feast, feeding. We have, um, well, we're still in the process of setting up the house, and we just got back from a pretty long round of errands, gathering various things for the house, and kind of getting the details taken care of, um, and things like that. Like, we got a wonderful comforter that I'm really excited for. It's reversible, by the way. Oh, is that... Yeah! I love when my sheets have two sides to them. <laughs> anyway, so... And we're, we're missing some... Still, we, we did a basic grocery run, of course. We're still missing some just auxiliary ingredients that we need to make the meals that we wanted to make. And I also um, thought of Megan while I was grocery shopping, while I was doing that grocery run, which got us talking because today we are eating different kinds of pasta and we started debating between why elbow pasta tastes the best for mac and cheese, what the difference between elbow and cap cavatappi is, mm -hmm. what the one that she likes is called. I like the cavatappi, but when I was, I was, what I was saying is when I was growing up, so many dishes were made with rotini in my family, which is kind of just like a medium size, like spiral shape. Totally tell us about the different shapes of pasta, please. Okay, so I'm gonna get more wine first. <laughs> my theory is that it's a carb paste that you press into noodles and then dries fast and whatever. If you put it into a ball, it's too dense. It's going to crack your tooth. So we put it into pasta shapes. And there's got to be some kind of science about... Because they're almost always the same texture, but about the surface area. Because that's the only thing I can think of. That's the only thing that's changing between the rotini and the cavatappi. The cavatappi just has like a hole in it. It's a tube. The other one is... Still a tube? We all know elbow mac, right? And, I mean, there's a reason why it's called macaroni and cheese. It's not called cavatappi and cheese, you know? Um, and the word macaroni in and of itself is associated with cheese, I feel. Anyway, and cavatappi is like... A Doesn't it mean stylish? I don't in know. French? Put a feather in his cap and call it macaroni? Something like that. It was slang or something. But, yeah, different pastas have different functions. And for me, certain pastas are associated with certain things. Fair. Well, that's part of, like, being a chef, right? Knowing. Maybe. We should ask Tucker. Do you have Tucker's number? Maybe we can call him. But, no, like... No, it's like... I mean, there's... Eh. Okay, so we have an abundance of penne, Right. We got a giant bag full of penne that was donated to us. Woo! Thank you! But there's a reason why the penne is not super suited to the red sauces. I thought we, it was. That we usually make it in. I think it is. I f well, it's not, it's not an ideal vehicle, I don't think. Compared think to, like, it is an ideal vehicle. spaghetti. Oh. Or, like, the strand noodles. Okay, so what's the difference? Because linguine and clam sauce, isn't that, like, a delicacy or something? Yes. Well, the linguine is slightly flat, which I feel like makes it a better vehicle because it's more sturdy for, um, for cream sauces. Well, then what about mac? It's just sh short and has a hole in it, so it has, like, places for the cheese to go. 
Alright. That makes it also convenient to eat. Is there any science behind this? I don't know about the science. I just, I found a lot of different types. Okay. What does the different types of pasta mean? What do? What does pasta mean? What does pasta type mean? Could we call them species of pasta? Sure, we can call them species. What's the evolution of my mac and cheese? Well, so, um, for some reason, I like angel hair better. It's so thin, but it reminds me of, uh, like, pasta-roni prepared dinners, because they always had, like, the angel hair and garlic sauce or something like that. Sure. Anyway, like, it's just connected to memory for me. There's anelli, which are small rings that are often used in soups. Anelli? Let me see. What does it look like? Tiny little rings, almost like Oh, anelli. A-N-E-L-L-I. Oh, yeah, so they're flat. Yeah. They're not just, like, rings. They're, like, linguine tied into rings. Okay. So they're small, so they're often used in soups, right? One of my favorite, probably my favorite, because it was always so fun as a child, were shells. And so now I associate shells with pasta salads. Because they have a pocket for the sauce and the toppings and stuff. Yeah, you know, they do that with like the Velveeta yeah. mac and cheese. I didn't grow up eating that, so I don't like it. And they use a lot of white sauces with it. And honestly, I don't like that I bite into a little globe of linguine sauce or whatever. Oh my god, that's my favorite part. That's too much. I need a balance. It's probably why the spaghetti is so nice. Because the, most of the sauce just, like, falls off or gets stuck between the strands, you know? But and then... eating like a monster like But I then did. you <laughs> have the giant shells that people make stuffed shells with. Ooh, yeah. What are they called? I think they're just called giant shells. Oh, well, no, there's like a, there's a kind of noodle that you make like a little tube out of. Oh, the giant big tube? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. And you stuff it with stuff. Oh, man, you gotta use ricotta. You can't just go with the cottage cheese. You can put cottage cheese in there, but there's gotta be some real ricotta for some Oh, I've dishes. never had it with just cottage cheese. You always gotta go with ricotta. Well, we tried a couple times, um... Maybe late high school when we were doing a lot of cooking and not just baking because when we realized that we could cook on our own, we just made cookies all the time. What kid wouldn't? Maria Barbier was a fantastic chef. Probably still is. And she would make those stuffed things or whatever. You have to like cut them sideways, like one of those cakes, like a log cake. Manicotti. Do we ever bring up manicotti? No, we never brought up manicotti. So is that a dish or a kind of noodle? It's a kind of noodle. So they are often stuffed and baked, but they're the tubes with the grooves on the on the exterior. Cool. Um, there are smooth walled pasta called liche? Lichi? Let me see. I had a friend one time make me... Uh, it was a dish that was popular in in their family, but it was mastacholi. Where is li- where is the word? It's the last thing. Oh, I would say lisi. Okay, mastacholi is like a big penne type thing. Okay, yeah. And it, but it's smaller than the than the manicotti. Um, but and it's kind of squat looking. Kinda, yeah. It, yeah, it's not as rectangular as the penne looks. 
without the trapezoidal end. Yeah, but it it's oh wow, it looks yeah, it looks almost exactly like the penny. I'm pulling it up. Sorry. Um, and this dish, I have never heard of it or had it. And I guess it's very common, you know, as I throw it into the Google. Um, it's this just great red sauce, beef, noodles, and cheese, essentially. Like all good things in life. Like all good Italian eat. things. <laughs> you know, they didn't cook with a very diverse spice palette. Mm. I kind of disagree. How many, like, genuine Italian... So... That's a good point. I don't know firsthand. This is, like, third-hand knowledge. My friend in high school, her father went on his mission in Italy, I think, and learned genuine Italian cooking. And we made a couple of her recipes, and I have a couple of them. That's the handwritten uh, recipe book that I have. The first couple of recipes in each section are handwritten by her. And we made several, I think there's actually tomato sauce in there, but they intentionally didn't cook with a lot of different spices because they had, they were Mediterranean climate. The few things that they did use were very flavorful. And also, I guess they probably spent a lot of time, a lot of time doing other things to survive. Excuse me, I'm just burping a lot. This is difficult to do. So, um, the shells, of course we call them shells, but apparently their Italian name is Concigli. That's kind of fun. Yeah. There are just, there are other really neat ones, too, you know? What's the Italian name of macaroni? Also, didn't, didn't the nation of China, or the empire of China invent pasta? Oh, probably. I mean, rice noodles and such. I feel like it occurred in the Mediterranean about the time that the Silk Road began. But my phone is currently doing recording, so I can't Google it. I think I also saw that in the Marco Polo show. Didn't you say you watched that? I did. Oh. It's good. I have no idea how accurate it is. Oh, according I don't think to that, it's very accurate. I mean, from like the exchange of power. I appreciated that they made him a political figure because most of the time they just portray him as a an adventurer, but he was a political, basically a political prisoner. So that part's true. They had some fun with the rest of it. They took their writer's privilege and ran with it. Um, I also like bow ties. I think they're, I think they're fun. I like bow ties, and you know what? I like that there's a little bit of sauce, like if the consistency is right, and it's kind of chunky, but it's got that watery, there's like a 25-75 ratio there. You get just enough sauce with the bow tie pasta, mm -hmm. but you have to eat them a certain way. The wheels are fun, too. Nah, I'm never taking to those. Oh, I, I liked them. I don't know how often I had them. Well, I, uh, you know, they just they remind me of mac like, craft macaroni and cheese like special shapes. You know, uh, they had like the Spider Man ones and the SpongeBob ones. They were always just fun. 
That's very true. Um, the radiatory uh, are really neat looking too. Have you seen those? No, I'm waiting for you to show me the phone. Okay, you have to use your hand. Like, what is that? Oh my god, there are some shaped like a leaf. Wow. It kind of looks like, I mean, it looks like a radiator, like an automobile part. Yeah. So, people are making sheets, and then they are sculpting these each time. I think it, well, so many more pasta shapes became available with extruding technology. So it's just the way it's extruded. Oh, okay. Oh, like the, ex I mean, that's why they called it either, well, the colloquial name was the press, but the extruder at the pottery studio. Yes. Fascinating. I did not use that thing appropriately because I was afraid of cleaning it incorrectly. Or maybe fusilli is what my parents always get. But I feel like it's it was called rigatoni, which might not be like, that's probably the Americanized version, but... I don't know, different pasta just seems suited to different foods, and that's my favorite thing about it. I'm sure that that's exactly what happened, but I want to know, there's got to be a book on this. Can you Google that for us? There's a book on everything. We've been watching a lot of David Attenborough narrated nature specials because they're amazing. And how else better to deal with completely relocating? Um, oh, and then you have like the mini lasagna, which you always have to use in like, uh, what's the dish? Help me. I don't know what you're talking it's about. A, it's like a creamy beef dish. Okay. Stroganoff! It's stroganoff. Between the two of us, who is more German? Okay, between the two of us, who would eat the beef thing? Well, it used to be me. Right. Okay, well, I've been a vegetarian since really, I was 14. I used to really love stroganoff. But stroganoff is always used with the same very specific type of noodle. Anyway. I've never had stroganoff. I've never even had a Krabby Patty or whatever the real-life version of that is. The McDonald's Big Mac. Or a Whopper. Okay, whatever. Everybody's got their signature dish, but like... So, to answer your question, uh, there's a lot of books about pasta. Um, there's the Encyclopedia of Pasta, uh, which is available with ebook. There's the, ge the Geometry of Pasta. There's Pasta, Pasta, Pasta. I don't know what... <laughs> That's the word. That's just lazy. The Authentic Pasta Book. Authentic is a fake word invented by white people to sell Mexican food. Mastering pasta, pasta by hand. I did type in history of pasta, by the way. See, uh, that's the that's the title of the book that I want you to read to me. There is a book called Pasta, the Story of a Universal Food. Oh, because it's just carbs straight lined into your gut and then heart. I mean, I know that I know that pasta or various forms of pasta with. XYZ grains, right? Um, Probably a good way to store grains. Yes. Uh, and as we've discussed, become a vehicle for for other things. So I know it's probably universal. Like the bacteria that makes people dance until they keel over from exhaustion? How is that related? Oh, because it was a, bac a fungus that grew on a grain store. Make everybody sick. Oh. Uh, you're talking about the Salem Witch Trials. 
something like that. It's happened more than once. Yes. Anyway. Um, anyway, what, I'm, say, what yeah. I'm saying is that I feel like Italians in Italy have really become the pasta experts. I feel like... I don't know the answer to that, but if there is someone not in Italy that is the actual pasta expert, they're really offended. And I'm offended on their behalf because that's just some, like, Chef Boyardee advertising from our childhood, I bet. (laughs) Well, the Encyclopedia of Pasta is written by an Italian writer, and then it's translated. Oh. Uh, The writer's name is Greta Zanini De Vita. Cool. Very Italian. There's also Beyond the Pasta, Recipes, Language, and Life with an Italian family. Oh, that's not really related to pasta. Yeah. Um, Wait, why is it not related to pasta? Well, it's 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 more of a commentary on, on the culture versus the pasta itself. Right. Which is cool. Um... But also not relevant to what we're doing. So I feel like pasta, the story of a universal food, might be your best bet, or uh, perhaps the Encyclopedia of Pasta, maybe. I don't know. Okay, well, we're running out of time, but can you look up David Attenborough biography? Because if we're going to talk about ways that we can learn why the different surface areas and shapes of pasta have maximized the deliciousness from a plant in the ground to my tummy, we need to know how we can learn about David Attenborough. Because apparently his brother acted in the Jurassic Park movie. Yeah, his... uh, He was the guy with the white hat and the, like, I took the blood out of a amber-preserved mosquito. He has a name. What's his name? What? What's the guy's name in Jurassic Park? I don't know. Oh. Man, Mel, if you're listening, I'm sorry I've let you down. Okay, there's a lot of books about David Attenborough. Yeah! Uh, There's David Attenborough, uh, Adventures of a Young Naturalist. There's a Little People Big Dreams, uh, like, like, the series for kids type thing. Oh, okay. Um, one on David Attenborough. There's A Life on Our Planet, uh, I think that's by David Attenborough. Um, he also that has would a, be good. He has another one called Life on Air, which I think is an audiobook. The Incredible Life of David Attenborough. That one. Uh, he has another book called Life on Earth, which is a bestseller. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, the Incredible Life, what's that? When was that written? I just realized what my favorite pasta is. Oh, tell me. Tortellini. Why? Um, hands down, love it. I feel like it is the perfect pasta to filling ratio because sometimes the ravioli can be, um, can be overwhelming. Because it never stays together and you end up just like with a giant pile this is why I mix my food all the time, because things like lasagna, they're supposed to be like, oh, cut it, and you get a little nice tower of perfectly geometrical food. No, that's not how it is. It's like a murder scene between the pasta noodles and the different textures of the sauce and the included cheeses. I love ravioli. Ricotta. I love ricotta cheese, but sometimes it can be a lot of ricotta, and because I just don't have I a lot I got a ricotta. 
I don't have a lot of meat stuffed ravioli. So it's usually just cheese, right? But the, the tortellini... Cheese and veggies. Yes, mostly cheese. But no, it, all right. We'll come in back. my history. In we'll my come back to it. Anyway, I feel like the tortellini just handles that in such a better ratio. Okay, so what's the shape? Describe it to us. Tortellini is a cheese-filled folded ring that usually has like a triangle space in the middle. Yes, and there can be stuffed tortellini. It's like a little pocket. It's like a mini calzone. Tortellini is by definition stuffed. Okay, well I, um, there is sometimes still a triangular pocket. Yes. Even though they're, it's stuffed. It's definitely like a folded shape. It's a, it's a folded stuffed ring of delicious. Plus, um, the way you buy tortellini is kind of like you buy it al dente in like the fridge section and then you just have to like boil it for a little bit and heat it up because it's already like pre-cooked for you. I actually didn't know that at first because you can buy it in the dried section. They're like little and hard. Oh. They're the kind of thing that you would crack a tooth on if you didn't cook it. I had no idea that they sold tortellini in bulk. Correct. Wow. But we can check it out even though Winco doesn't do like bulk anymore, so we don't have a lot of physical examples. However, we are out of time. So, for those of you listening at home, what did we learn about pasta? There's, and rocks. There's a lot to learn about pasta. My takeaways are Duluth is wonderful so far. We're excited to keep exploring. Um, we went on two different hikes today. Pasta is incredible. Did we go on two different hikes today? Well, we were driving home and I said, ooh, Cory Park! And then you said yes, and I was already turning. That's right. Yeah, and we discovered that there's a giant place where they practice ice climbing because Duluth is awesome. Um, my second point is part of pasta's deliciousness as a just wonderful carb is the functionality of it, which contributes to the deliciousness. The functionality. What's, what's functionality in this case? Of how it can best be a vehicle for other flavors into your mouth. You know, every time I have vegetable pasta that's supposed to flavor it, I'm like, if I just wanted to boil this, why didn't I boil it in, like, soup? Because the minute I add sauce, the sauce becomes the focal point, And that's because that's what it is. You're not supposed to be able to taste the pasta so explicitly. Or maybe you are, but... All right. Do you have a third part? Point. The third point about David Attenborough is the incredible life of David, Sir David Attenborough is, um, he's a sir, he's a knight. It's a children's book, oh, wow. um, by Collins Big Cat. I'm like eight on the inside. Something. Fine. So, uh, that might not be the most in-depth look about his life. But the rockosophy angle is that Birth Rock's Bliss is true in Duluth, live and well. And also, we watched a documentary on Amber, and David Attenborough has a rock, has, he has a pocket rock story about Amber, which is amazing, and I'm claiming that on some small rockological level. And he has, like, how many documentaries? So many. So many. So we many. found roughly 30 or 40. Richard Attenborough is his name, by the, is his brother's name, by the way. Ah, Richard Attenborough. The guy who was in, well, they're both actors. They both have really stereotypical British educated thing going on in their voices. 
I can understand why they cast him for Jurassic Park. He reminds me of a of a more formal and polished Stephen Fry. Huh. And I do love Stephen Fry. He's one of my favorite people. Aww. Yeah. Where am I in that list? You are my favorite person. Yeah! Take that, Stephen Fry! Um, okay, my going out message is that learning should be a constant thing. And it is delightful. And if you know anything about pasta, message us with former... No, just message us. Yeah. Have a wonderful night. Bye. Bye.